Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. Let's pray together again. Father, we are humbled by your Son, Jesus, and all of what he's done for us. And we pray now that we would see him clearly here on the pages of Scripture. Open our eyes to behold the beauty of your Son, that we might flee to you, trusting in you, perhaps for the first time. Lord, empower me by your Holy Spirit now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wonder if you can say it is well with my soul today. And sometimes in life we can grow weary. We have a tendency to kind of internalize a lot of what's going on around us, all the uncertainties of life. We've been through quite a season together with the virus and so many different kinds of issues that have come along with that culturally, perhaps in your family, and you're just a little weary today. The people in Peter's day were going through many trials and tribulations and troubles. They're being persecuted for their faith in Jesus, and they were exhausted, and they needed encouragement. Perhaps you're in that same place today. Sometimes when we feel weary, we begin to waver in our devotion to Jesus. The stress takes its toll, can pull us in so many different directions. We begin to drift away from God and from the people of God. We might even think, well, God hasn't come through for me, so I might as well bow out. Some of us, when we experience weariness in suffering, we begin to ask the question, why? So why me, God? I've been following you. How come this has come into my life? It's kind of a detour, right, to the good life. And why are you bringing it? What have I done? Why? So just like Peter's readers, we need encouragement today. Literally, that word means to put courage into us. We need encouragement to keep going, even in the midst of suffering. And so with that in mind, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, the words will be up there on the screen and back of me. 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll look at verses 18 to 22 together. This is the word of God. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water." Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. 
So the, the main point that I want to draw out today from this difficult passage is simply this. Look to Jesus when you suffer. Look to Jesus when you suffer. Don't look to yourself. There's no hope for you there. The world tells you when you go through something hard, just look within to find the strength and the stamina. You can do this. You can manage your situation. Time and time and time again, we fail. We fall on our faces. We need to look to Jesus for courage and comfort to keep going in the midst of our suffering. And so in the context here, let me draw your eyes back to verse 17. Look there with me. Peter writes, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So sometimes it's God's will that we suffer while doing good. And that really messes with our minds. On the pathway to obedience to Jesus, we suffer with Jesus. Seems strange. These Christians were suffering not because of their sin, but because of their devotion to Jesus. That's, that's a, a tough pill to swallow, right? So, God, I'm, I'm trying to follow you. I'm, I'm, I'm following Jesus, and here comes suffering into my path. Why? So Peter wanted to encourage them by having them look to Jesus when they suffer. So let's look at who Jesus is for us here in this passage. We're going to see five things. Number one, Jesus is our sufferer. Jesus is our fellow sufferer. Look at verse 18. For Christ also suffered. Stop right there. That one phrase is one of the most encouraging phrases in the entire Bible. Christ also suffered. God suffers with us. So many people in our world today believe that there is a God, or at least a higher power, if you will, created everything, but then kind of stands back at a distance, somewhat indifferent to our lives, and maybe swoops in once in a while to help us out, but for the most part, doesn't really care. That is not the God of the Bible. God has entered into our pain and suffering through His Son, Jesus Christ, and understands and sympathizes with us in our suffering. He feels it. He knows what it's like to suffer. Christ also suffered, and He did so while doing good. Look back with me at 1 Peter 2, 20-21. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For, here's the reason, to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And so Jesus paved the way for us, and he suffered, so will we. He suffered while doing good. And as we suffer with him, we begin to know him more and more deeply. Philippians 3.10, Paul says that I may know him. Paul desired deeply to know Jesus, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So whatever it takes, I want to know him. I want to know my Savior. Even if it means suffering alongside him, I want to know Jesus more deeply. 
The word share in his sufferings is the word koinonia in the Greek, where we get the idea of fellowship, to participate in the fellowship with Jesus in his sufferings, to become like him and to know him more deeply. So in times of suffering, in times of pain, we know Christ in a very experiential way. He becomes our faithful friend, our fellow sufferer along the path of suffering. He feels it, he gets it, he knows it, and it brings us great courage and comfort. So number one, Jesus is our sufferer, our fellow sufferer. Number two, Jesus is our reconciler, our reconciler. Verse 18 again, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So Jesus also suffered just like us, but his suffering was absolutely unique. There's no one who suffered like Jesus. Look at these phrases that Peter stacks up here. He suffered once for sins, once, not repeatedly, like the Jewish sacrificial system. No, it was a once for all sacrifice. In Hebrews 9, 12, it says he, that's Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So he suffered once, once for sins, not because of his sin, but for sins, for our sins. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, but your iniquities, your sins have made a separation between you and your God. So Jesus was sent in order to suffer for your sins and mine. His blood made a bridge from you to God. He was the righteous one. We were the unrighteous ones. As it says, he suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. In 1 Peter 2.24, Peter already said this, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins. Notice, he bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So this is what theologians have called Christ's substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. He became our substitute on the cross, the righteous for the unrighteous. Now, sometimes a picture speaks louder. And so take a look at this picture up on the screen here. This is a diagram. It's been called the Great Exchange by Martin Luther. Some of you have seen this before. And so we see Jesus there on the right. He is the one and only righteous human being. The God-man who came without sin. He is the righteous one. All of us are unrighteous. We are all sinners in this room. And so on the cross, what Jesus did was he took all our filthy rags of unrighteousness. Every sin on him was laid. And all the punishment he bore for us, all the wrath that we deserved came upon the Son of God. And in return, He then gave to us His perfect, white, spotless robe of righteousness. And through faith now, if you believe that Jesus died for you, you can be clothed and cleansed. You can be called righteous in His sight by faith. Has nothing to do with what you've done and everything to do with what Christ has done. That is good news. 
Christ died, the righteous for the unrighteousness, for the unrighteous. And notice the goal to bring us to God, to bring us to God. That's the goal of the gospel. Forgiveness of sins is an amazing truth. Eternal life, forever in heaven. I can't comprehend that. And yet the goal of the gospel is that Christ would bring us to God himself that we would have eternal fellowship with our great God, that we'd be reconciled to God, safe in his arms, at peace with our God. Now, it's not only that we're reconciled to God, but through the cross we're reconciled to one another. In Ephesians 2, 13 to 14, it says, But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Notice he has come to make us one, to break down all the walls that separate us. So think about it this way. The cross, there's a vertical beam and there's a horizontal beam. Through the cross, we're reconciled to God. If that weren't enough, he also came to reconcile us to one another. We're united in Jesus by the blood of Jesus. He came to reconcile us. So there should be no walls of hostility anymore. This is why we fight and we believe and we want and pursue reconciliation of all kinds, racial reconciliation in our world today. We want this because it matters to King Jesus. It's why he died to reconcile us into one body, one family. And so we look to Jesus, don't we, as our sufferer, as our rescuer, our reconciler. And number three, Jesus is our preacher. He's our preacher. Look at verse 19 to 20. In which, this is Jesus in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because of the because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Speaking of water, we're diving into some deep water here in this verse. This is really confusing, right? What does that mean? In, in 2 Peter 3.16 uh, Peter says this, there are some things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand. And I agree. But I can see Paul now looking at Peter saying, oh really? You think I'm hard to understand? What about this verse, Peter? And there are all kinds of crazy interpretations, all kinds of different interpretations offered by commentators, including that Jesus went and preached in hell and gave people a second chance at salvation. That is not consistent with Scripture whatsoever. So we can't affirm that. So what does this mean? I'm going to do my best here. Others have said this as well. I think this keeps us on track with where Peter is going. Here's what he's trying to say. This verse seems to say that the Spirit of Jesus was actually preaching through the prophet Noah to the people in Noah's day who did not believe who did not turn from their sins, so now are spirits in prison, locked up in judgment in hell. Now, I get that from 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11. Look back there with me. 
Concerning this salvation, the prophets, Noah was one of them, who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And so there you have the very Spirit of Jesus preaching through Noah, the Old Testament prophet, telling them to repent and flee to the ark. They were disobedient, were swept up in the flood, perished, and now are spirits locked in a prison of judgment. Now, why is that relevant to us? Why does that matter to us? Well, just like the days of Noah, we're living in a very dark and disobedient world, aren't we? So how can we make a difference in this world around us? Well, here we see that that Jesus actually speaks through us by his spirit living in us. The spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit, they're used interchangeably in scripture, is actually working in us and through us to speak on God's behalf when we're consistent with the gospel here in the word of God. Now, this would have brought great encouragement, especially to Peter's readers, because they were going through severe persecution and were brought before people to where they had to give an account of what to say. In Mark 13, verse 11, we see this encouragement. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. I take that to mean that even in our day, when we're faithfully following Jesus and we encounter people in our path and we're in situations that might even frighten us, we don't know what to say. Have you been there before? I don't know what to say. I, I want to say something in this situation. Just know when you speak, the Holy Spirit is speaking through you. You be confident he'll give you what you need in that time. When what we need is beyond us, the Spirit of Christ can speak through us. When what we need is beyond us, the Spirit of Christ can speak through us. He will help us in those times. But listen, this text is also a warning for us. It's a warning. It's a warning. So listen, this is a warning. Now is the time to turn to Christ. We are living in a day. We're in the last days ever since Jesus left we're living in the last days, right? So in these last days, now is the time to turn to Jesus to be saved. In Matthew 24, Jesus says it this way, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Listen, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware. Mark that. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So, so listen, this story, Noah's Ark, is, is not this little children's story, this little kind of fun story that put all those animals in the ark and watch them float along in their little boat. This is a story of judgment and warning to flee to the ark or else you're going to perish in the waters of judgment. You've got to get into that ark. Now is the time. You see, this is a time now 
of patience on God's part, a time of patience, but it's also a time of repentance for us to flee to Christ, to flee to the ark of Christ. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He is so patient with you. Would you repent and turn to him even today? So Jesus, he's our sufferer, our reconciler, our preacher. Number four, Jesus is our rescuer. He's our rescuer. Look at verses 20 to 21. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So again, at first glance, this is, this is confusing, very difficult. Let me try to explain it to you. So in, in the safety of the ark, in the safety of the ark, Noah and his family were literally saved through water, the waters of judgment. And so Peter says in the next verse, verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. So here's what he means. Just as Noah was, was saved through the waters of the flood, through his repentance and through faith and finding refuge in the ark, you too can be rescued from the waters of judgment by repenting of your sins, believing in Christ, and finding refuge in him alone. You must flee to the ark of Christ alone. So notice, it's not baptism that saves us. It's what baptism signifies and symbolizes. Look at verse 21 again. It says the baptism is, is, not, is not this outward act of cleansing. That's not, that's not what baptism is. Not some ritual that everybody does just as an act of cleansing. But it does symbolize an inward act of cleansing. It symbolizes an inward act of cleansing. Verse 21 says it's an appeal to God for a good conscience. In other words, you're crying out to God for a clean conscience. That's repentance. You're turning away from your sin. You know you're a sinner. You're turning away from it and turning to Christ and you're trusting in him to give you a clean heart. That's what saves us. Baptism symbolizes that. It's an outward picture of an inward change. Incidentally, this is why we don't baptize infants, because they can't give an appeal to God for a good conscience. If you have questions about that, if you're coming from a different faith background, we'd love to talk to you more about that. But as, as we believe Scripture teaches, you are baptized after you come to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as the first act of obedience to Christ, to publicly say, I'm following Christ with my life. Now, even in suffering, Peter says, remember your baptism. Don't, don't forget what Jesus did for you there. And so I have a few pictures up there on the screen just to remember some who have been baptized. And maybe you in this room, you can remember back to your baptism and just remembering not that that was the day when you were saved, but that was the day where you gave public testimony of what God did for you in Jesus and you're following him now, not perfectly, but faithfully. 
And so we remember Jesus as our rescuer that comforts us and encourages us to keep going in our suffering. And then finally, number five, Jesus is our overcomer. He's our overcomer. Look at verse 22. So Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. I want you just to imagine this now. Where is Jesus today? Why is he not here in person? Because he's there, seated in heaven, reigning over all things. This would have given Peter's original readers much comfort and courage. Ultimately, that means that Jesus has overcome all, all the powers of evil. All the powers of darkness are under him. He has won. He reigns. He's victorious. He's the king of all kings. Notice it says, he has gone into heaven. He is before the throne of God above, as we sang today. He's pleading even now for you who are believers. He's interceding on your behalf, and he is seated at the right hand of God. Why is he at the right hand of God? And that's a position of highest honor and authority. There is none greater than our King Jesus. We know from other texts of Scripture that he is now seated at the right hand of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, When he, that's God, raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So there is no, no one higher than King Jesus. He's far above all other rulers and authorities. He is above every other name that's ever been named. King Jesus deserves all of our honor and all of our glory and all of our praise. He's seated. Why has he sat down? Because his work is completed. It is finished, Jesus cried out from the cross. I have nothing more to do. I have accomplished everything needed for your salvation. I'm seated now. And here is the good news. This is the hope we have in him, that no matter how hard it gets here, Jesus Christ is on his throne, and he will come again someday. Until then, listen, until then, we must believe in the moment what is true of us in eternity. We must believe in the moment what is true of us in eternity. Ephesians 2, 6 says this breathtaking truth. And God raised us up with Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So listen, even now, you're seated in these chairs but even now, you've got to picture yourself. The reality is you're seated with Christ right now in the heavenly realms. You're with them. You've got to believe in the moment what is true of you in eternity. What's true of Christ is true of us. And one day, all of our enemies will be under our feet and we will reign with him forever and ever and ever. That should give you reason to be encouraged today. That should give you reason to say, it is well with my soul so when you get weary, when you begin to waver and ask the question, why? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Even though you will suffer with him, one day you will overcome with him. And I can't wait for that day. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed 
that Jesus, you conquered through a cross. You came and stooped down low and suffered for us once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. If that weren't enough, we are seated with you. One day we'll reign with you in glory. And Jesus, I pray that that would encourage us this morning. I pray you would grant the gift of faith to one who's out there today questioning maybe, am I really truly a follower of Jesus or is this all just kind of a fake Christianity that I've put on? I pray that you would come now and breathe new life into their soul. They would turn to you to be saved and rejoice in you as their rescuer. Father, let us sing now that you have overcome death. You have overcome the devil. You have overcome all evil powers, and you reign. So may we sing of that even now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.